Bringing the word today is the one and only Pastor Kerry Kirkwood. He and Diane have been founding pastors of Trinity Fellowship in Tyler, Texas for 35 years. The apostolic network we are part of, founded by my pastor, Olin Griffin, is now directed by his ministry. So he's one of our apostolic overseers. In some circles, he'd be called a superintendent or a bishop. But it's not like that. He's a friend. He's a man of God. And if a church has troubles, oh my goodness, he is the troubleshooter. He's awesome. He's the author of several books and very well-known book, The Blessing, is his. And so, are you ready for a blessing? Hear the word. Pastor Kerry Kirkwood, come right on. It's great to be here. I've uh, been looking forward to this mainly because I haven't been in a while. And, uh, but we, we, Diane and I, we really love your pastors. Great friends. We connect on Zoom calls. Pastor Allen uh, always has great insight that challenges me to go and dig a little deeper. Have you thought about this? <clears throat> so you're really blessed to, to have pastors that are not just uh, sub-level, but are just pressing into the kingdom of God. Sometimes you don't, you don't know that. I travel uh, a good distance, uh, not from, <laughs> from being here today, a good bit of the time I'm on the road with various churches, all different backgrounds, cultures, environments, and so on. And I can tell you, I enjoy hanging around Pastor Alan and Yvette. Uh, Yvette has become a very good friend of Diane. She's ministered in our church a couple of times. We love having her there. Uh, just the, the presence of God, the passion and the zeal for the Lord is awesome. So, and I'm happy to have with me uh, my wife, Diane. She hadn't been able to travel with me for a while. <clears throat> so today has been a, one of our first outings together. So that makes me happy. Yay. So <clears throat> if I tell you any stories, you'll know that they're true. Because <laughs> she is here <laughs> to witness on her. When we're at home, if I say something, it might be just a little cutting edge. They'll look at her and... You know, and, you know, she is the representative of the glory. She represents me, and uh, that's what the Bible says. And so they look to her, is he really telling the truth? And so I told her, and she's a lot of times with her head's down praying. And I said, could you pray with your head up just a little bit so they don't think like, oh, I don't believe he's saying that. Because, <laughs> you know, body language does have a, has a loud voice. So anyway, so I'm happy to be here with you. I enjoyed many, all the years of uh, a relationship with this uh, with this church. And, and on the way in, uh, I think we were coming in yesterday, and I heard the Lord say something specially for this church. I haven't preached this, haven't even preached it at home yet, so don't be nervous. <clears throat> I normally, because uh, the books that I've written, I always tell my church, you've been the guinea pigs or the laboratory for all of the books that have been filtered through here over the years. And But I, I was hearing the Holy Spirit say something out of Genesis 26, and I'll just kind of, if you want to turn there, <clears throat> be a launching pad, and let me give you an introduction to this. My staff tells me my introductions are longer than my sermons, so we'll see. If God could change the way that we think, He could change the way our life is completely. When I was doing research for the power of right thinking I was, uh, found two things interesting, and this was through Harvard Medical School, was number one, that the average person 
uses uh, less than 10% of their brain. And they'll say it's usually much less than that, but there's a few brainiacs that raise the, the average a little higher. <clears throat> so if that's true, that means God's given us a lot more capability than what we actually see used. So it has been my, I feel like, press and urgency of the Holy Spirit to bring out of us everything that he's already put in us. If it's everything that pertains to life and godliness is already inside of us, as the Bible says, if you just think about this, everything that we need is already on the inside of us. Sitting in this room right now are people that can fix problems and maybe engineer minds, have the ability to deal with things that you never thought possible, but it's, it's inside of you. It's like stuffed inside of a vault and you can't find the combination. But if we, through the Word of God, can realize what that combination is to release us. When I was just a teenager, there was a book called by Watchman E called The Release of the Inner Man. Anybody ever remember that book? <clears throat> One of the first books I ever read, they told me it was, was way too over my head, and it probably was at the time. But there was something that intrigued me at that, is that God has placed something more inside of us than, than what we see. And we know that Proverbs 23 says, as one thinks in his heart, so he becomes whatever he's thinking. So if something has happened along our life to where that somebody said something that formed a picture, because words can create pictures. I could say a few words and, and create a beautiful landscape for you. So if pictures can create, uh, you know, words can create pictures and pictures can create destiny, then that means something has said to us to suppress us from not getting to the full potential. I was uh, watching a, an, in a, a, this, uh, there was a show about how to hire people in interviews. And so this young lady was coming in for an executive job, and she didn't realize the very moment she entered the building, she was being watched, and the interview had started at that point. In her mind, the interview didn't start until she came before the CEO. So she came through the building, and there was a security guard there, and she was really ugly to him and said, I'm here to see so-and-so, and he said, let me check on the list. He says, you don't need to check anything. I'm here. Let me in. She was demanding her way. Came into the office where the rest of people were around. She was interacting with them and said something like, uh, you know, I've already got the job. You, you, you probably need to go home. And so she began to see all these things. And so went up to the other secretary that was the executive secretary for the CEO and said to her, said, you might as well move me to the head of the list because I've got things to do. So when she was arrogant, full of herself, to say very narcissistic, to say the least, she comes in, and this was a, a true, I guess, a true account, and she comes in and sits in front of the guy, and she starts telling me how great she is and wonderful and all that, all of her skills and all her resume, and he says, man, your resume is just impeccable. I don't know that we've interviewed anybody that has the background, experience, and education you have for the job. Feeling confident she got the job, he said to her, but you're disqualified because you failed the interview. And said, you just get really upset. You, everything you've told me, I should have this job. No, your interview started when you came into the building. We were watching everything you said and done. You did and interacted with other people. And so you failed for that. 
That touched me so deeply that I, I began to dig into the Word of God and realize that if we are in the, the, the phase of the interview for eternity, God is watching, right? The Bible says we're judged for every idle word. That's kind of a rough statement. But the word idle there is the word argos, which means unproductive. Or I, I had the opportunity to sow something uh, that would bring life and encouragement to someone else, but I chose not to say it because I didn't want to give myself away. I didn't want to be vulnerable, so I'm just not going to say it. I have the power to bless, but I'm just choosing not to. If you can't say anything good about someone, keep your mouth shut. Well, that's not good either. So the idea, he's given us something, and we're playing out life now that's going to happen for eternity. I can show you through Scripture that there's five places in the Bible that talks about books that are written about us. So I would just suggest to you, maybe you had a baby book before you were ever born. According to Psalms 139, that all of your DNA and everything was there. We normally read that concerning, you know, pro-life. But if the Bible also says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was ever an earth, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain before there was ever an earth. Wow, wrap your brain around that. So if that's possible, it's very well possible that God thought something about you, declared something about you before you were ever conceived. So it was written things about you. If you went and go into Malachi, it says, all those who feared the Lord, there is a book of remembrance written about you. If you operated in the fear of God, in other words, meaning the fact, I want what God thinks before I care about what anybody else thinks. I want to please God more than please anything else. I want to operate in what the word of God says. That's the fear of the Lord. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. So then you go into that, you go into Psalms uh, um, 87 says, um, where it says, all those are born in Zion. There is a registry, one translation says a birth certificate, are spoken of those who are worshipers. There's a difference between a worshiper and a singer, right? This morning we might have had some singers here and might have had some worshipers. Singers are where I'm reading the words off the screen, but my heart's far from what I'm saying. The word worship, proskuneo, is to bow and to adore, think about him, and to worship him and honor him. I've been in Africa where there's no music, and a little, little pavilion, dirt floors, and all they had was a hollowed out log with a piece of deer skin over it, and a guy just beating on that thing. And I saw the presence of God fill that thing, atmosphere, and they were dancing and had a, a dust cloud there. So strongly, I've never felt the presence of God there. So it's not about the right key, right note, and all that, but out of our innermost being, I love him so much. And he said, it's written about you. There's a place that talks about in Psalms where all those who are talking about intercessors and those who prayed, that all the tears, not just the tears because you're brokenhearted, that's a country and western song, but when you literally have tears where you're pouring your heart out before the Lord, says your tears are bottled up there and there's a book that is recording all of your tears. And then, of course, obviously, Psalms 139, the book of life is there. And But the, when the Bible talks about in Revelation around 21, it says that, that when we come before the Lord, the books, plural, not just the book of life, the books, plural, are opened and he begins to look at it, all of the books. 
I wouldn't, my concern is for myself. I don't want to stand before the Lord and sing, and he opens the book, and it's my book that he said about me from the very beginning of time. He's proclaimed things about us because he, Jesus said, I don't live by bread alone, but I live by every word that is processed, proceeding, prophesied, if you will, that moves ahead of time that comes out of his mouth. So Jesus said, I'm going to live by what has already been said. And Jesus was saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. So the word of God was written by holy men of old, spoke under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it was recorded at a certain time, but God had already said it because he did everything, rested, rested, ceased on the seventh day. So I don't want to stand before the Lord and realize, man, I had a whole book written about me and I never got out of the introduction. And the introduction said, I love you. I love you. And I turned the page and said, my desire for you was to heal the sick, cast out demons, and to see the kingdom of God. I placed inside of you this anointing. I placed inside of you this gifting. I've done all these things for you. And he, you know, and the Bible says, and when you come before him, he says, well done, good and faithful, servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. So it wasn't about getting into get salvation, but it was when he come in before a bema, it's called the bema seat, which is the judgment seat of Christ, it's where he gives out the rewards. I just don't want to say, man, you just write that deathbed experience, but I want to live out my life, don't you, yeah. to where the full potential that everything they gave you comes out before the Lord. Yeah. And so I look forward to that happening. That's why when people say, you need to slow down. I said, why? I am just, I'm in the interview stage. I'm in the interview stage of life. I have to be careful how I interact and speak to people and because uh, they were created in his image. They belong to him, not me. I can't treat them any old way because as I've done it to the least of these, I've done it unto him. Whoa. So when I understand that, so I'm sure if that lady come in for the interview had told her, that the interview starts before you ever enter into the building. She may have reacted differently. And so I just want us all to know that we are, smile, you're on candid camera. (laughs) The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And so if he can change the way that we think, he can change every part of our life. All right, look with me and and Genesis 26. This is a story of Isaac. And um, Isaac was dwelling among the Philistines at that time. And God gave him great favor there. And in, in verse 20, chapter 26 and verse 12, uh, well, when you back up to that, he tells us in verse 3, God told him to dwell in the land and I will, and I will be with you and bless you for to you and your descendants, I will give you all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to my father Abraham. It wasn't because God just liked Isaac more than anybody else. It was because of my covenant with Abraham. Let me just say that God had not just a covenant with Abraham because when you go into the scripture you find out that when Abraham was put asleep, And God was making covenant with him. And he told him to take all the animals, cut them in half, put half on one side and half on the other. And Abram falls asleep. You would think something pretty important that's going to change the whole world and everybody's going to be blessed by you. You would stay awake for it. (laughs) 
But it was God who put him to sleep, just like he put Adam to sleep when he was taking a wife out of his sight because he didn't want us telling her how to do it. So you go to sleep, Adam. I'm doing this for you. And the Bible says that when Abram was asleep, that, that all of a sudden there came a smoking torch and a flaming oven. And it was kind of a flaming torch and a smoking oven, rather. And passed between the two pieces. Scholars tell us that those two, two repre uh, representation was the father and the son. And they passed through the covenant and they joined together and God the Father and God the Son made covenant in behalf of Abram because he knew man would break covenant. And so we stand on the covenant that Jesus made with his father that when I see the blood, I, the enemy has to pass over. But my covenant is with the Father and the Son and I make it in behalf of Abram. So he said, everything I said to Abram, I'm going to keep my word, not just because it's a word to Abram, but it's a word between the Father and the Son. So when you see everything that God has done in covenant, if we understand covenant, we pray differently. If we understand covenant, we believe differently. If we understand covenant, we would see the demonstration power of the Holy Spirit because God is not a man that he should lie, nor will, it, will he reverse himself. He said it, it's all settled in heaven, the scriptures say. All right, having said that, so he said to them, I'm going to do it because of my promises to Abram. You and I stand on what God said to Abram and then fast forward into the new covenant, what he and his, the, son, the father and the son has agreed together. We're standing on that same covenant. When you say in the name of Jesus, all heaven and earth backs up that name as if you had signed his name in behalf of you. He was the co-signer for your life. All right, look at verse 12. <clears throat> Isaac sowed, sowed in that land. It was a famine. Nothing was growing. He sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. In essence, he's saying, Isaac did something in the face that's not natural, but when he sowed in the land during famine, because of covenant, God said to Abram that he caused everything that were not as though it has, is going to be. It all changed because he didn't look at the natural conditions to decide what God said. He took what God said and then made everything else revolve around what God said. <clears throat> when we say, uh, I know what the word says, but. Anytime we put a but in there, it means just disannul everything I said previous to that. We need to be careful where we put our but. <laughs> That'll preach. Not sure some of you like that, but none of little will. When we say, I know God will, but, which means I really don't mean that, believe that, because in my mind I give mental acquiescence in, but my spirit, my spirit believes it, but my mind is not sure about it. So he sowed in, in a circumstance that was totally against it and reaped a hundredfold right in the face of all that. So God was showing himself in, right in front of the enemy my hand is upon him because I made covenant with my son in behalf of Abram, and my word will not fail. All right, look at now, verse 18. Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. He had some inheritance. The title of the message today is The Power of Inheritance. He had an inheritance through his father who owned some wells there that was huge. If you owned water rights, then you were very well off and you had rights to the land. Comes in the place and there are herdsmen there. You see the scripture. Uh, they begin to quarrel over these, the, 
the waters writes, Isaac dug again in the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, though he had a right to them because of covenant with them. For the Philistines had stopped them up in the death of Abraham. Now listen to me. Just because the natural enemies of our soul stop something up doesn't mean God honors what's been stopped up. He's waiting for us to go after it and declare this is out of my innermost being will rise up. God has placed invaluable potentiality wells of life inside of us. And when life or the enemy has stopped them up, we get to where and say, well, it's just the way it is. I had a shot years ago. Somebody got in the middle of it. They moved my cheese and it never did work out anyway. So therefore, here I am. So I spend the last 20 years of blaming somebody or something, somebody did me wrong song, instead of breaking through that and saying, but God has declared over what he said has a final word. Now, stopped him up, and and, um, verse 18, they dug in the days of Abraham his father for inflistings that stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by names which his father had called them. In other words, his father had called them these names. It was prophetic. And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well running there. But the herdsmen of Gerar, the environment, culture that they were in, if I'd say that, quarreled with Isaac. Isaac's name is the darling of my soul, or laughter in some places some uh, translations. They quarreled over this and he called the waters, he said, the water is ours. Gerar, the, the culture of that time, he called the name of the well Esek. Esek means contention because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called his name Sitna, which means hatred. I know a lot of people that are unchurched today because they tried digging a well and it didn't work and they gave up. But yet God called us to keep pushing through and pushing through. And even though they were inheritances that, that Isaac had right to, finally, verse 22, he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called this name Rehoboth because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us. <clears throat> What I heard the Holy Spirit saying about this place was that God is going to give you another well that's not just to be culturally contentious, not culturally where you have to push through, but it's where that you're going to have room with God. And the word room there is translated in the Hebrew means to elevate, to, to give space for, and the idea for capacity. So if we translated that today, we'd say, for the Lord has given you the well of Rehoboth so that you now have the capacity to do what God had given you as an inheritance that just because one thing didn't work out, it doesn't mean that God is through with you. It means keep digging because I'm ready to give you room and give you the capacity that I've called you to have. That's been written about you. It is written, Generations Church, it has been written, it has been written. God has said things over this church that if you, you, buy, if you took it in the natural pole, you may have certain feelings about it, but what God says has the final word and the final declaration of that. He's looking for someone to take that word and begin to dig because there's water veins and, and depths of the Spirit of God below the surface that you don't even see and know. 
When Jesus was dealing with his disciples and he was speaking to them parables, Jesus said to them, said to Jesus, his disciples said to Jesus, why do you tell, talk to us plainly, but you're telling them in parables? He says, because it's for you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus would be talking about farming, all the, you know, uh, Matthew 13, sowing and reaping, the Pharisees, the religious group of the day, that who saw themselves as the interpreter and arbiter of truth, that all they could hear Jesus talking about was farming. They're agronomous people. But the disciples began to realize that he was talking about something far beyond the natural understanding and saw it as the kingdom of God. When John came preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, <clears throat> Jesus said, there's none greater than John in all the earth. John is just the, the, the quintessential of everything. Then he goes on, this is Matthew 11, and he says, but anyone who enters the kingdom of God is greater than John. Well, you just gave the greatest compliment ever could be given by the son of the God. And he said, John's it, man. He's, he's, the, he's the mold. But anyone that enters into the kingdom of God is greater than John. Because John came preaching about the kingdom, but one who enters into the kingdom is greater than John. Amen. And he said, the kingdom is not by observation. The kingdom is where? Is inside of us. So one who enters into that place to pull out of your innermost being and allowing the kingdom of God, the authority of the king of the kingdom of God that sits inside of you, allowing him to flow out of us is greater than the one who just talks about it. It's much easier to talk about something than doing it. It's much easier to talk about healing than getting out and praying for people. It's much easier to talk about, you know, the potentiality, but he said, tag, you're it. Because greater is he, the one who is already from the foundation of the world spoke about you, is in you, than the little he that's in the world. But we tend to allow the things in the world to put pressure on the outside to suppress the inside. When the scripture talks about the anointing removes the yoke, breaks and removing the yoke, it literally is an internal pressure becomes greater than the external stress. So many times it's easy just to put up with whatever we see in the natural instead of a lot of what Psalm 68 says, let God arise, Spirit of God arise, and let his enemies be scattered. So the more that we allow what's the inside, the press and the capacity growing inside of the presence of God inside of us, it breaks the yoke on the outside. I was in a place one time and. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were called there to minister to a church of Christ, a bunch of group people. They were all, there were 70 elders, is in large in North Dallas. And I told the pastor, I said, uh, I'm spirit filled, speaking tongues. And he said, well, well, we don't hear, but that's okay. I said, so you're asking me to prophesy over people that doesn't even believe in it. He goes, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> we want to see it how it operates. I was a little bit ambivalent on the inside, and Diane was with me. <clears throat> so we're looking around the room, and I see guys just sitting there just like, Ugh. 
this doesn't match up doctrinally, this doesn't match up in my thinking, this doesn't match up in my background. So if it doesn't match up with anything that I know, it must not be God. That was the thinking. I remember something that someone told me and when growing up. He said, if you're ever in a bar fight, as if I really would, <laughs> and a fight breaks out, pick out the biggest, baddest dude there, whip him, and the rest of them will leave you alone. <clears throat> Excuse me. The hardest choice, which, which was <laughs> looked the worst. And I was thinking, devil, get out of my head. I mean, I, I break you off of me. I'm trying to be spiritual here. And you're talking to me about something bar fights. I opened my eyes and there was a guy right in front of me. The Lord said, that's him. The pressure in the room was greater than the pressure that I felt the unction to function. And the Lord said something to me. He said, you fear them more than you fear me. If you fear them more than you fear me, that means that, they, that, that you are governed by what man thinks. And whatever you magnify, you empower. <clears throat> People are very influential. And so the more you think about it and how big it is and how big the problem is, the more you empower the problem. When you magnify the sickness and disease over what the Word of God says, you, you magnify the problem and you shrink the healer. So the Lord said, who are you going to magnify? Psalms 34 said, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. So I thought, you know, well, I don't know anybody here. Might as well step out and give it a shot. Remember walking up to the guy, and he was just like, oh. has arms crossed, legs crossed. He was just very, if, if, if uh, body language could speak, he was hollering. <laughs> and I said, when you were 14 years old, you, you, you said something to the Lord. And you made a promise to the Lord. And in that promise, you told God, if you would change the situation that you were dealing with, that you would serve him all the days of life. And you would embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. And I said, and God sent me here saying he's ready to collect. <clears throat> this guy just falls over in his seat, pulls his legs up and starts shaking all over. The rest of the room went from this to. Because we went from the natural to the supernatural. And whatever you think and whoever you magnify changes the room and changes everything around us. <laughs> they had stopped up some wells there, and all of a sudden I could find a well that God made room. And the guy who was pastoring that church at that time was Michael Miller of Upper Room Church. <clears throat> He's wanting to introduce some things of the Spirit. So what happens is, God is saying if he can change our background from what our experiences was, the hurt and the pain, and I've been there, done that, and, I, and I've made inner vows and said, I never want that to happen again. Then we built what we've, our own kingdom up, and we pushed out the king of glory, and we're saying, I'm just settling in for where I'm at, and I'm not looking for anything else. If you had lived in the 14th century, when, when, the, when it was understood by natural wisdom that the earth was flat. Because they believed the earth was flat, mamas would tell their babies, 
don't go to the end of the street. Why? Because uh, you fall off the earth. <laughs> really? How do you know that? Well, we just that's, that's the way it is. Can you imagine some kid getting right onto the edge out there and seeing what's out there? Because <clears throat> as one believed, so they became. Yet, it took some people, you know, 1492, you know, Columbus circled around and proved that what, there was a lot of people that still didn't believe it. For, for a lot of us as believers, it's easier to believe that our world is flat because I don't have to go to the edge. I don't have to press beyond where I've ever been before. And it's just easier not to. So the press of the Holy Spirit inside of me <clears throat> says, you can take the easy way out or you can take my way through. So there's more things inside of us than what we realize. If God can unveil himself inside of us and say, greater is he, that anointed one inside of you, then it breaks the yoke and breaks all of the mindsets and everything around us, and we begin to dig in wells that saying, God has given us room. Now, the word room there again means to elevate and is a, as a position of strength, and it's also the word for advantage. So they dug, and the Lord has given them advantage. <clears throat> I want to tell you by the Spirit this morning, that there is an advantage of the Holy Spirit that's already been spoken into this house years ago. And there's coming a time when that, advantage, that, that well is going to break open and you're going to see an advantage. And the advantage is going to be the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the demonstration of everything the Bible says, and you're going to see the hand of God come mightily over the house. The Isaacs of the Holy Spirit are going to rise up and begin to say, the time is right now, the kingdom of God, where generations. There's a lot of young, young, young adults that are looking for a father, and this man's a father, looking for someone who will, will say, give them truth and, and not just pander what's getting saying. This is the Bible. This is the way. Walk in it, and you're going to see that. So the Lord is preparing us now with the capacity it's one thing, we can pray big prayers and we give him teacups to put it in. God, I want you to move mighty mountains. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. <clears throat> if he poured out on us the very thing that we're asking for, we'd be destructive. Moses said, I want to see your glory. I've seen all your miracles. I saw what you could do to Pharaoh. I saw what you just, the, the natural things you did at the Red Sea. There's something missing in my life. You think, Moses, you're an ungrateful thing. And it's not about what you have seen, it's what are you seeing. It's not what was said, what are you saying. It's not about living in the past, it's about living in the present. You find in Romans when Paul makes this statement, he said, he said nothing separates from the love of God, things present or things to come. I looked at that and thought, Paul, you're missing something. If you're inspired by the Holy Spirit. He should have said things past, present, and things to come. But he didn't. In other words, old things have passed away. I've cut them off through my blood, through the blood of Jesus. And now you step into this present. How you deal with the present determines whether you have a future or not. We get stuck in the present and we don't move into the future. 
because we have excuses and reasonings and all of those things that suppress and push down the Holy Spirit. Because it's our spirit that's eternal. It's not what we eat and we we think in our mind and will and intellect that suppresses that. In the Garden of Eden, before Adam fell, that they they saw one another were covered by the glory of God. They covered by light. The Bible says they were naked, but they were actually covered by the glory of God. So when Adam and Eve walked around in the glory of God, Eden is translated the place of my presence and the place of my pleasure. I mean, it was... It was God's headquarter on earth. He places a tree there, which if we were God, we'd think, why'd you do that? It's because he wants us to have a choice. Choose life or choose death. Choose mental anguish, which is Gnosticism, word of knowledge of good and evil, or choose life. When they ate of that tree, before that time, Adam would look at Eve and said, well, baby, there's not another critter in the garden like you. Wow, you're beautiful. When the glory departed, and he ah! I've never seen you that way before. What happens? He immediately says, God, that woman you gave me, she did it. And the woman said, it wasn't me, it was the devil. It was a serpent that did that. Interesting enough, when the glory of God departs from us, we start seeing things through the eyes of blaming. Blaming a culture. Well, I had that well over there, the East Sect, that was my favorite well, and look what the enemy's done, and, and nothing's good about it, and we're just in a terrible time, and we just mourn and talk about ESEC all the day, and well, I tried it again, sitting over there, and hatred and all this stuff going on. Let me tell you, the enemy wants us to focus so much on what the news is saying, how bad things are here on planet Earth, and we forget how great things are in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Last I knew, Jesus is still at the right side of the Father, declaring over us and speaking, here's your destiny, walk through this, live life and light in, the, in a dark place. Amen. Instead of talking about how bad Sitna is and how bad, you know, Gerar is and those people are bad there, go over there and find your room, find your space, find your capacity and see the kingdom of God expanding every which way and now you found anointing. I found my room. I found my lane. I found my place in the Lord. You know, what's interesting this is that God says things to us prophetically and we say, well, I guess it didn't work out. Let me tell you, I was doing a funeral with a lady, one of the first ones I ever had to do in those days. And when they were looking at the body, which kind of creeped me out, I was just a kid. And uh, she said, looked at me and said, Pastor, don't do it. And I said, don't do what? She said, don't raise him up. (laughs) I was flattered she thought I could. (laughs) But I can tell you that wasn't what was on my mind. (laughs) My mind was like, I'm going to get out of here. And I said, just curiously, why why don't you raise him up? I thought, boy, she must have had a huge life insurance policy on on this guy. (laughs) Don't want him coming back. She said, well, he's been embalmed, you know, and God raised him up. He had all this embalming fluid inside of him, and he'd be be burning on the inside. Really? (laughs) God can raise up life, but he can't replace blood. In other words, we have this one-dimensional thing. God can do this, but he can't do this. 
We know Jesus, you're the healer, but when Lazarus died, sorry, you came too late. If you'd have come on time, Lazarus would be okay. We blame you. It's because they knew he was a healer, but they had not had revelation that he was resurrection life. So when we get one-dimensional in our thinking that God doesn't do this or that, or I only do this or I only do that, then I have, I've eliminated all that he wants to be in me and through me. So she, she went on to say, he died without seeing prophecy fulfilled. I've heard people say that. Let me tell you, prophecy is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a mandate. has to happen. It is an opportunity to cooperate with God and it's, mean, it's literally prophecy is potential. If God said it, I can go the opposite way and that word never be fulfilled. And I can say, see, that word never was God. When Mary, the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a son. Immediately she said, how can this be? I don't, I don't, I've never been with a man. Legitimate question. The natural doesn't make sense to me. But she said, nevertheless, at your word, let it be done. And the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. He used the word nothing. It blows me away thinking that the word nothing in the original Greek is the word rhema. No freshly spoken word, nothing, no freshly spoken word will return without accomplishing what would have the life inside of that word. So we begin to understand that prophecy has life inside of it only to the point that I cooperate and have it. Habakkuk said, is the seed still in the barn? In other words, he came and said, the temple's not built and all these things aren't done. Well, we got this prophecy. He said, I know, but the seed is, you put it on the shelf. And it hasn't been sown. That's why it hadn't produced. So he said, well, see, prophecy doesn't work. It only works when I cooperate with the proceeding word of God. The same way that this word only works in my life when I'm living and, and, and agreeing with it. The best I can do looking through Scripture, I've, and I've heard people say, well, I just put that word on the shelf. How many of you farmers know if you put the seed on the shelf and go out in the garden looking for the fruit, you're going to find it didn't happen. <laughs> there, is no, there are no prophetic shelves in Scripture. It's either planted or it's not. So when the word of the Lord comes to us, we have the options like Mary and saying, nah, I don't know. Then, I, then I'm just, I've aborted the seed. Where I can say, I don't have to understand it with the natural mind, but however these things can be, let it be, oh God, I embrace it fully. It means every day I'm thinking of God that I'm closer now than when I first believed. God is not linear in thinking. Linear is where he said something here at point A, alpha, set it down here at omega, ending. 20 years later he hadn't said it, so I guess it's not going to happen. Alpha and Omega means beginning, but it's circular. God is redemptive. Which alpha is here, and Omega is here. Omega is where it ends, where it starts. So God is redemptive in everything he said, as long as we contend for it and keep pressing and believing God for it, it never runs out. His word never comes back void, but it'll accomplish everything that he sent it to do. So I want us to look at quickly... What, what it is that um, God's given us inheritance for. When my dad passed away several years ago, <clears throat> he didn't have a lot. I think his whole estate was about $100,000. Five of us in the family is about $20,000 apiece. I had the Lord speak to me, and he said, how are you going to honor your father 
with what he's given you. My dad wasn't a great believer. He did towards the end of his life, but most of my life he never went to church. My mother, she, she was, man, she was way ahead of her time spiritually. And so I had $20,000, and I, you know, I asked my brother and sister, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to pay bills. I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to give some of the grandkids and all that. And the Lord said, said to me, how will you honor your father? <clears throat> so he started speaking to me through, through the word. He said, I've given land to people, and they had even fought for it. Hold the land, keep the land. You know, they would fight the enemy off the land or something about land. And I said, God, I have no $20,000. not going to buy much. And he said, once you know what I want you to do, then the money is not the issue. Once you have vision, provision is secondary. But a lot of people reject vision because they don't have provision. And God is able, according to 2 Corinthians 9, it is God who gives seed to the sower. In other words, that's his responsibility. <clears throat> I said, okay. Through a random situation, I, I had help uh, someone get a house. They end up leaving and moving out of it. Left, I'm left a house. Next thing I know, a guy comes to me and says, there's a house over here. It's an estate sale. I had a little bit of money there. They got a really deal. Put it down and do that. So I started just buying rental property and just kept going on until... And so when it came to, to that inheritance, I talked to my brother and sisters. I said, about a year later, I said, do you have any of the money that that dad left us. Oh, no, that went in a few months. They said, how about you? And I said, that money that dad gave us, $20,000, it has been multiplied and continually. I've never spent the seed. It is still in the ground growing. It's not because I'm a wise person. Simply the Holy Spirit says to you, what will you do with the inheritance, spiritual inheritance that I've given individually as a church, as a body of Christ? What have we done with the things of the Spirit of God? We're, we're stewards of that. We're, trust, we're trusted stewards of the seed from another world. If you would go into, if you went into Deuteronomy, the, the 21st chapter, you'd find out that there's a principle there that said, there's a double portion belongs to the firstborn son. Remember when Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, around there, remember that verse? We normally think of that being twice the amount of something. Well, in Romans, the eighth chapter, in verse 29, it says, Jesus, very clearly, Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. So Jesus is the firstborn of the inheritance of his father. And if you went into Psalms, uh, the second chapter, and in verse 8, this is God's messianic speaking back to it concerning his son, to come, very prophetic way, hundreds of years into the future. And he says that I will give you the nations or the heathen, he says, the nations for your inheritance. The ethnos is literally the nations. So when the devil comes to Jesus and saying, I'll give you all of this, thing, well, the father's already promised it to him. The devil always tries to work a deal with us to take from us what God gave us as an inheritance. To stop the well up, to do something, to distract, to interfere, distract us from the culture, distract us from the day, so that we forget all about, I've got seed. And the seed of this power. 
It's interesting in, in, in Matthew, the fourth chapter, where the last words that Jesus was, uh, that Father said over Jesus when he was being baptized in Matthew 3, and then goes into Matthew 4. The heavens were open, this voice comes, and hear him, and this, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible says in Matthew 4 immediately that he's led by the Spirit, not the devil, led by the Spirit of God into a high place, and there he was confronted, and the devil confronted him. He confronted the devil. Jesus never did any miracle until he overcame the devil. He set precedent for all of us. We gain authority by what we overcome, not what we undergo. You can have a lot of experience of undergoing something and feel like the martyr, but it's what you overcome that gives you the right and the power and authority to speak to that. Jesus overcame, he didn't undergo. And he overcame by declaring, it is written, it is written, it is written. The first thing that the devil says to Jesus, if you are a son, command these stones to become bread. The last thing that the father says to him, it's what? You are my son. The first thing the devil wants to contradict, if you're my son. You see the clash is to keep him from receiving the inheritance and the calling, the purpose of God, and just boots him out of that. I had an encounter with the Lord in Los Angeles years and years ago, just 21. And in that encounter, I just had a business right out of high school, was not... Uh, thinking in this direction, although I felt that there was a tug and call in my heart to, to preach. When I was, before I was over to school, I'd line up all my sister's teddy bears and dolls, and I would just preach at them. <laughs> Had a big dictionary, couldn't read, and I'd just pound the dictionary because I saw my pastor do that. <laughs> they'd pray over people, and I'd go over to the teddy bear and shriek him, you know, because that's what we did. And he just shook, 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 shook. His eye fell out, actually. <laughs> I put his eye back in, healed him. <laughs> because God was setting an imagination up in my heart. I was created in the image of God. If you can see it, you can walk in it. Never could get that bear to give an offering, but nonetheless, he, he was healed. In that time, the Lord spoke to me. We were staying in this little house in Palm Desert, California. I wasn't even the speaker Although I was kind of shoved into it at the last moment. But I was tested. A guy named Jim Maloney, you may have heard him. I was there and he was the speaker. And, and he was sitting there and I was supposed to take notes on what an evangelist did. I was sitting there and all of a sudden he looks like he goes into a stare. So I made a note, act like you don't know what you're doing. And he says to me, stand up. So I just stood up. And he said, the Spirit of God's on you. And I said, no, he's not. Spirit of God's on you. You preach. I hadn't preached three times my whole life. Now we're in a big, big, good-sized church. And he goes and sits down. I am standing there in front of everybody and preach. I said, preach what? And he said, I don't know. It's your message. <laughs> I moved from the point is I couldn't get out of it and the Lord's always put me in a situation where I couldn't go back because the waters rolled back and I couldn't go back to Egypt. So I just took one step forward and when I took the step forward, all of a sudden it felt like a blanket had just covered me. My back went a little straighter. 
and I started preaching for things that I hadn't thought about before. I just quoting scripture went on and on, prophesying over people. Jim was over there just. When that was over, he shut the meetings down. He says, God accomplished what he wanted here today. We're supposed to be in there three days. And he said, we're, we're done. That night, the Holy Spirit started bringing things by. I just bought a house and had a business and all these things. He's saying, will you honor with me with this, honor with me with that. Finally came the point, it's 4, 4.13 in the morning, I looked at the clock, and he said, get ready to go south. That's what I heard. Came back, told the pastor asked me, never talked to me before. He said, what did the Lord say to you when I was gone? I didn't even know that he knew I was gone. That's what he told me, get ready to go south. He was an older man, he just shook his head. Two weeks later, he gets a call from Odessa, Texas, says, I want you to come down and minister in this church, to take this church, pastor it. I had no experience, pastor. I'd never done a funeral. I had never done a wedding. I've just had to well, preach three times my whole life. And I was not prepared for it. First service, I couldn't tell you what I preached last week, but I can tell you what I preached that day. My first message. I preached on the baptism of fire. Studied, studied, studied everything I could think of. We didn't have, I didn't know how to use an accord concordance. There wasn't computers. You just had to hear the Holy Spirit. Stood up that day and whatever the text was and started preaching. Well, the pastor, former pastor, was in, was in uh, immoral stuff going on. He never had, I was the first guy in 14 years that ever been preached in the pulpit. And they finally asked him to leave. There was no, there's one man that was the leader, elder. This lady stood up in the back. She said, son, you're not anointed and God hasn't called you to preach. You need to go back home. I was living in Amarillo, Texas, my hometown. Go back to home because you're not wanted here. Son, day one, sermon one. And I, I thought, God. I'm, I'm homesick already. I wanted to go back to where people loved me. They said good things about me. I heard the Lord say to me, saying, what will you say to these things? If God be for you, who can be against you? But you're going to have to say something. I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't a confronter in those days. What came out of my mouth was, sister, I may not be your pastor, but I'm everybody else. I'm their pastor. You're free to go. <clears throat> I didn't realize that she was the church boss. <clears throat> and she was a sister to the former pastor. By the time I left there, she and I became friends, but she got delivered. And all the, and the other people. I didn't know anything about deliverance, but I was thrown right in the gates of hell, thrown right in there. And God said, what are you going to do? Uh, God help me. The word became prevalent. The word became alive to me. The word was the power. I saw literally the powers of darkness and demonic activity begin to shrink every time I said, Jesus has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to destroy the works of the devil. He has sent me, not because of who I am, but he sent me. I'm under his covenant and his name's sake. Therefore, I, I will stand here. <clears throat> I laid on the, went over the, laid on the floor of the church and I said, God, if you can get me out of this hell hole, I'd be really happy. <laughs> I don't know that I'm called to do this. 
I don't feel called to do this anymore. And he spoke this to me. He said, remember the day that you said to me, Father, I want to know you. And the power of your resurrection to be conformed to the fellowship of your suffering. He said, I brought you down here to fellowship with me. Which I knew was to feel what he felt. He said, I have been so grieved over what's been taking place in this church. I sent you down here not to build this church, but I sent you down here to clean it out. It's for another man coming, but he's not ready yet. And you're not here to build it, you're to clean it out. I knew my assignment. My assignment was to shrink it, not grow it. The day that I found out another pastor name was Billy Music, I had no musicians. I, I got an old guitar and taught myself three, three, three chords or three keys, and I mean, it was bad. I had a guitar that felt like I had barbed wire for strings. I never could really get to play, couldn't get calluses. I thought, God, this is pathetic. All the churches, they all have musicians, and I, I don't not even, you didn't prepare me for this. God said, I am preparing you for this. You're going to know how to confront the gates of hell. So as pastor, I heard about this guy, and he had seven kids, and everyone had played an instrument. I said, that's not fair. <laughs> he was an evangelist. Brought him in, gave, you know, to. I was so glad I got to pack up and I could leave. I was praising the Lord. And the truck dies right at the city limit sign where it says the population. It died in the bumper, just pulled right up next to it. I was buying in the devil for all I could, all I could give it. I can't even get out of this hound down. These, these demons hate me, hate me, hate me, hate me. And I heard the Lord say, this isn't the devil. This is me. I will not leave, let you leave this town until you shake the dust off your feet of what happened to you here. Because when I cursed the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and I said, on the, dust you, on the ground you'll go and you will eat the dust from the earth. And we are created from, our flesh is created from the dust of the earth. And if you do not get rid and get free from all of the hurt and pain and the rejection that you've been told and felt here, this serpent will follow you around and feed off your flesh. I got out of the truck, jumped up, kicked my heels, shook the dust, the hallelujah, praise God. <laughs> but I've got a problem. My truck still doesn't start. No cell phones those days. About that time, the only elder, the only guy that was a godly man in the whole place, Came by, his name was Jim Darnell, and he comes driving by. He was a pilot for an oil company. He comes driving by on Highway 80. And I said, Jim, what are you doing there? Because your, your work is the opposite direction. Yeah, I know it, an old Texan. I got up this morning, and the Holy Ghost said, take your toolbox and go out Highway 80. You'll find Kerry out there. <laughs> and I said, well, that's why they call him the Spirit of Truth. <laughs> Battery turned over and the acid spilled out and filled it up and charged off. That was in 1975, and I've never gone back to Odessa, Texas since. Wow. <laughs> Though we've had conversations about that. Today it is, I saw the power of the Lord. He put me in uncomfortable situations because the calling of God was, a, as Alan said, a troubleshooter for the body of Christ. God will put us in situations not to punish us, but to prepare us for what he wants to work through us and in us. 
But if I continually keep moving away from not wanting to serve there, it's not me, that doesn't fit me, nothing ever fits me. I was totally unprepared for that. I didn't even want to ever pastor again. And the word of the Lord came to me through Mary Ann Brown. <laughs> the lady we knew, she's passed away. Sent me to Odessa, I mean not to Odessa, Tyler, Texas. Started a church there. Been there 30, 35 years. <clears throat> Here's the issue. In order to bring out of us what God has put within us, he allows the pressures around us to push out what he says I and I only can anoint and I can do it. But I need you to join with me in partnership. All right. Let me give you the rest of this. Acts chapter 2. Well, resurrection happens. Jesus is resurrected. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, talks about Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies, the real Holy of Holies in heaven. Moses' tabernacle was simply a symbol of the real one there, the original. Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes his blood in, puts it on the mercy seat in heaven. At that moment, we could find later, we don't know the sequence or the, the chronology, but there wasn't, when his blood hit on Golgotha, there was an earthquake. Tombs of dead saints were opened. Do you imagine somebody been married, buried, married, buried and married, married and buried? Thousands of years, and all of a sudden they come out of the tomb, walking around, looking at Jerusalem. Wow, when they put up McDonald's here? <laughs> Man, you've been dead a few thousand years. Things do change, you know. Things, his very blood causes earth, the, cre the creator, the blood of the universe, the, the creator of all, who had knew no sin, yet became sin for us, to destroy the works of the devil, according to 1 John. His blood was placed on the mercy seat. At that moment, some time, that, then God had to give him his inheritance because he said, not my will, but your will be done. Adam in the garden, his will was done. Jesus, first, according to 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus, the second Adam, in the garden of Gethsemane said, not my will be done, your will be done. He literally took what Adam failed and became the redemptive side of the second Adam, which we now live and dwell with. We live in the redemptive power of the second Adam, Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 says that we're co-heirs with him. We're joint heirs with him. We're a partnership with him. So where Jesus, before he left, he told him, go in, in Acts 1-8, go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Jews understood that the word promise there had something, it was a legal term, and it had something to do with a transfer of something from one thing to the other. 500 people went into the upper room. 380 people got tired of waiting. 120 are there waiting to see what would happen. When the Spirit of God entered the room, because Jesus said, I'm sending you one, and he used the word parakletos, which actually we would say today, my lawyer or my advocate. I'm sending my attorney, if you will. He will take of mine and give it to you, and he will remind you of everything I said. So when we talk about truth, the word aletheia means the manifested reality through the eyes of God. How God sees something is truth. What, how we feel about it may be information, but it's not truth. The doctors say you have six months to live. The Word of God says by your stripes you're healed. 
We can live in fact or we can live in truth. You shall know the truth, manifest the reality the way God sees it, and the truth makes, not saith, makes you free, creative. The only truth that makes us free is not the truth we hear, but the truth we apply. Live it out. Sow it. Live it. Declare it. Speak it. Holy Spirit fills that upper room. And that was the reading of the will. Jesus, our elder brother, because that's what a firstborn did, he was executor of the estate of the father, and then he would distribute the the wealth of the other to the rest of the siblings. When I received the inheritance of my father, there was we had an executor of the estate, and he made sure everybody that was distributed what my father's will was. On that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came through that and blew through all of them, and the wind of the Holy Spirit began to transform and change that whole that whole environment that they were no longer thinking about you know, what had transpired and who gets what. There was something about the uniqueness that they were baptized, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. When he used the word baptism, it wasn't just an outward thing. It was something happened from the inside. There was a transfer from the, from the old covenant that everything was from the outside because he had the Ark of the Covenant. God existed and put himself inside the box he came out of the box and he said, now you are the box. Amen. I moved from the outside to the inside. You now carry the glory of God. I can take you through all those three pieces of, that was put in the ark of God that's now inside of you. And if we're only operating on 10%, then how much more does God want to do? But I limit him by what I ask or think. I will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can Ask or think according to the power works where? In you, in you. Out of your belly shall flow rivers, potamos is the word, drinkable, plural, river. Out of your innermost being will flow. I, I want to bring it out of you. I put it in you so that I can bring it out of you. I called you to be a, not a consumer, but a distributor of the franchise of heaven, Father's business. It was interesting to note that the Bible says that the best way that you can describe it, there were tongues of fire setting upon their heads. Doesn't mean that much to us probably today, but what happened was when a, they would dedicate a new temple in a city, they would build a, a, put a torch on top of the temple saying, this temple is ready now for the presence of God to enter in. It was a way to sanctify and dedicate the temple. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus came to fulfill all that was in the Old Testament, even to the point of putting the fire of God on top of him, saying, you are now a new temple. Not a temple made with hands, but you are the temple of God, that you now are the house of God. You're more than a, a bag of bones. You are the Spirit of God dwelling within your tripart being, but you're not just living out of the natural way you see, feel, and touch. But he wants us to get so much in tune with our spirit that our spirit begins to take back what Adam lost instead of being dominant in our mind, will, and intellect that now we're allowing our spirit to be dominant. It's easier to hear God and hear the Holy Spirit than we think. It is a fact is we've got to quit dealing with the old wells and get into the well that says this is my room, this is my anointing, this is my place, and God's given me advantage over the enemy. Do not get bogged down in the little foxes that spoil the vine. 
have people dying overseas, a group of intercessors all over, well, connected with all of Texas, but she's over 24 counties in, in the Eastgate region. And a lot of times they'll call and say, have you heard the latest? I love doing this. Have you heard the latest? You know, I said, yeah, I have. Oh, what did you hear? Jesus is alive and well, and he's doing all things according to his will. Boy, you're talking about take the buzz out of the room. <laughs> Diane and I were coming up, coming down, and I say in the hotel room this morning, I had my Bible, and some, the elevator was full of people, and stepped in. They were talking, talking. As soon as I stepped in with the Bible, Diane noticed it too. She said the whole temperature changed in the elevator. I wasn't there to, I wasn't thumping my Bible. We just suit up and show up. When the presence of the Lord is present, he changes the environment. You don't have to can tell people how bad they are. His presence, the goodness of the Lord, draws people to repentance. Yeah. I don't know. They might have been all scholars. I don't know. They weren't going to church, I'll tell you that. <laughs> There's something about we simply carry him wherever we are. There he is, waiting for the opportunity to reveal himself. Yeah. Our Father has distributed tremendous amount of power through us and in us, invested his inheritance in us. It's interesting to know they were trying to figure out what was going on. Finally, Peter, of all people, stands up and he goes, they were saying, all these people are drunk and, well, they can't be. It's only third hour of the day and, you know, it's happy hour, not even happy hour anywhere, so it can't be that. Peter said, no, this is what Joel prophesied. Joel 2.28. In the last days, I'll pour my spirit out upon all flesh, not just Jews, because Peter was pretty prejudiced. He really was. He had issues with Gentiles. I'll pour it out upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will do what? Prophesy. I want to suggest to you that tongues was not the total package of the inheritance that our Father gave us. Your sons and daughters mean generations will prophesy. But we tend to put prophecy down to someone who has a gift of prophecy and he comes along and calls people and prophesies over them. But we carry inside of us the spirit of prophecy because Revelation 19.10 says that Christ, the testimony of Jesus, is the spirit of prophecy. If anyone is born again, they're led by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, if anyone has not the spirit of Christ, or none of him. So if you're born again, you carry already inside of you the spirit of prophecy. Amen. We've reduced prophecy down to something that 1 Corinthians 14 and so on. But we all have the, 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 the spirit of prophecy, which means we carry the ability of the word itself. Not come up and say something off the weird thing of you're going to do this, you're going to do that. That's a whole other level. But to prophesy what the Word of God says, proceeding word to come out of our mouth, means we're releasing the wealth inside of us that we were given as inheritance from our Father to change the environment and situation. Had a couple that uh, <clears throat> was dealing with, and their son was an adult son living at home, and he was, he was on drugs. They came to me, in fact, I was doing a Bible school, and they were telling me the story. And they said, we just know one of these days we're going to get a call from the morgue and have to go up there and identify the body. They went on and on, and he says, he's been a difficult child, and, you know, he's taken all of our money, and, you know, you think, why? And then he lives at home and does all this stuff. They're just angry. And I said, 
why are you prophesying this to him? I said, oh, we don't, we don't prophesy. I said, yeah, you are. The devil prophesies. He just prophesies on the dark side. Hath God said. That's a prophetic word. If you believe it, then it becomes your reality. But when you begin to understand the spirit of prophecy, which is the inheritance that your father gave you to deal with every situation you ever confront, it's already inside of you. It is written, it is written, it is written. To change the environment and condition of whatever you're at without putting a butt in front of it. So I told him, I said, I wanted you to try something just for a few days. I want you to, to declare over him blessing and declaring that you're a son of promise. You're God's gift to me. I, you, the Lord put you in my care, and I love you, and I am so proud of you. They said, we can't lie. And I said, no, you're not lying, because you're declaring that what God's will is. By saying what he is means I'm agreeing with what the devil's done. A lot of we call fact. Well, it's just of truth. No, it's not. Truth is what the Bible says. Fact is what everything and conditions around us say. So I don't know. I think it was about two, two weeks they, they called and told me the story. He said, my son was sitting at a bar, which was his normal thing to do with his friends. They were drinking. Then after they drink a while, they smoked dope a while. And then we wouldn't see him until we come in at night late. He's sitting at the bar and he hears a voice that says to him, are you having fun yet? And he happened to think. Another thought introduced his garden other than hath God said. Or the fact is you have a right to feel this way because the way your parents treated you, the way life has done you, you should feel this way. You're entitled to feel this way. Another thought was introduced. Are you really having fun? He was honest. He said, not really. He said, then get up and go home and, and repent to your parents. He got up from bar and his friend said, hey, where are you going? It's still early. He said, I'm going home. Why? Because when you start making a decision to break the, the rut and the routine of the, the old wells, there's always a pull and pushback. You're not normal. Let me tell you what normal is in the kingdom of God. He walks on the door it was still early, around 6 o'clock. And his mother comes up to him and said, Are you okay? You, you feel all right? Is everything okay? What why are you here? It's amazing how we pray one thing and believe another. They're praying for Peter while he's in jail, and he shows up at the door and said, Peter's ghost is at the door. It can't be really Peter. We, we pray one thing. And so all of a sudden, he says, What time church tomorrow? Saturday night. Tells him what time church is. Last I heard, he went to the church the next morning and gave his heart to the Lord. Last I heard, he's serving God. Yeah. <laughs> what were they doing? They were prophesying. It doesn't have to be, thus saith the Lord. Because we know the word of God says, not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the Son of God. So he's not giving some strange prophecy. He's just simply saying what the Lord say which is the spirit of prophecy, which is God's intention for, not the way they feel. Amen. Interesting verse in Matthew 11, excuse me, Ephesians 1, verse 18. Paul reads it as, a, as an apostolic prayer. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, not the eyes of your head, eyes of your heart, 
would be enlightened so that you could see the hope of your calling. The word enlightened there is, is, is a powerful word. It is the word means to take a picture of fortizo. So Paul was saying, I pray that the eyes of your spirit would take a picture and see what the Lord sees about you so you would have an expectation of what he's called you into doing and being. So when you consider all that God has in store, everything changes when we begin to change the way that we think. Whatever we magnify, we empower. All he's asking us to do, start magnifying the truth in opposition to what the enemy is saying. You know, we, we know the scripture in James so well, it said, resist the devil and what? How do you resist? Yeah, submit yourself to God. That's true. First, submit yourself to God. But a lot of times, we don't know how to resist. We call the devil a liar. We call him names and, you know, and get out of my face and all that. But I want to suggest to you the word resist means to replace with. Resist the devil by replacing what God said in replace of what the devil said. Jesus said in John the 6th chapter in verse 63, the words I speak are spirit and their life. They're not just vocabulary. They have the Holy Spirit connected with them like Mary's, like the Gabriel said to Mary, nothing, your rhema saying word has agreement with heaven on it. I want you to consider right now for just a moment what it is that you're believing God to see changed. And maybe you're just saying, you know, that kid of mine, man, he's just a punk. That kid of mine is going to be the death of me yet. That kid of mine, not anything going to happen out of that. My grandkids, they never come to see me. Rotten, rotten, rotten. You know, I could have been a scientist had it not been that I had to go work for the family. And we get stuck in, a, in an old loop that says you owe, your, you owe it because somebody against you. When you lay down all that because Jesus nailed all of that to the cross and broke you free from it. To where only thing now he's saying speak the word and your servant will be healed. That's what the centurion said. Jesus said I've never seen faith in all of Israel like this. Jesus highlighted it. He's saying this is what it looks like. You may need to start writing some things down because in covenant I pray what he, the Father and the Son have agreed not how I feel. My mind feels one way but my spirit is screaming out don't you know what Jesus has done? Don't you know that that spirits have to bow to you? Don't you know? And our mind's going, well, it's just the way it is. And there's a conflict between our spirit, eternal part of us, because Ecclesiastes says God has set eternity into our hearts. So he wants us to be more in tune. Eternity doesn't mean I'm going to die tomorrow and go up there. He said, I want you to be in tune right now with what's going on up there and let, let heaven come to earth in you. So Father, let's pray right now. God, we just ask you, Lord, for some, some sort of turnaround in every part of our lives. 
God, that you would speak something into our hearts that would, would change the way that we're seeing and the change that elevate us to another place and having an advantage. God, that you would move in our lives in such a condition, position, that we would go back to what you're saying, not how we're feeling. We repent right now, Lord, that we've been really good about talking about the circumstances, but we've done very poor of talking about how you see it. Give us the eyes of the Spirit so we can take a picture of what you want to do and not just keep taking pictures of the way things are. We come into the transformation of the innermost being, and we ask you, Lord, that you would turn us around and help us to see by the Spirit of God. Let the counsel of the Spirit be upon us, O Lord, so we could enter into that place of glory. Forgive us that we've laid down dreams, we've laid down expectations, and we've just went into management mode, managing circumstances instead of pressing on through. Paul said, I press. There's pressure. There's pressure inside of me right now to prophesy. It'd be much easier for me to shut my Bible and let's all go eat. But I know that if he gives me seed to sow and I choose not to sow it, that means that I don't get any more seed because I've chosen not to, not to sow what he's given me. You know, look at all this, the, the parable of the talents, one, three, and five. God always has an accounting of everything he gives us. He goes to the one that had the one. He said, I know that you, that you were so exact and I didn't, want to, I didn't want to lose it, so I buried it. That's management. So Jesus says to him, or the, the, the householder, landowner says to him, if you had known me, you would at least put it out in the interest. Because everything I said was good was the idea that it would increase and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Even your bodies are called to be fruitful and multiply. Everything creates, has inside of it the ability to recreate. We have to suppress it and make it not grow. So Father, we just release right now the fresh anointing over this house. I call into the, the well, Rehoboth, into this house. That Rehoboth breaks forth. That Rehoboth gives them room to have an extension throughout the city. I'm so glad that you guys participated in in this weekend event, that means the fact is that you're not, you're not ingrown, but you're outgrowth. It was a, is a, it was a good testing. It was a good, a good opportunity saying, let your kingdom come. So Father, I pray right now the fresh anointing come upon this house in fully in Jesus' name.